It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And guys, make sure you're following us on social media. I love answering your questions. I love seeing feedback. That's at Mr. Cole Thompson. You can follow us at Locked On Aggies, and you can check us out at Aggies SI. You can also check out all of our great work at si.com slash T-A-M-U for all coverage of Texas A&M sports This week, we are getting ready for Texas A&M taking on UTSA. Game starts at 11 o'clock as your Texas A&M Fighting Aggies will look to improve to 6-3 against Frank Wilson and the Roadrunners, who are coming off of a bye week after defeating Rice. They enter the game with a 3-4 record. Guys, I promised you a guest was going to be coming on this show today. Unfortunately, due to our... Technical difficulties, we weren't able to get it to the exact level we wanted. But the content was so good done by our upcoming guests. We're still going to air it. We're still going to air both parts of the interview for you to be able to hear. This is not a normal sounding podcast. I promise you, we're going to do what we can to fix this in the future. But the content in this was so phenomenal, we could not help but air this one. We will continue to work on these technical difficulties in the future, but here we go. Greg Lucas interview from the San Antonio Express News previewing Texas A&M versus UTSA. Guys, I promised you this week that we would have a very special guest on. This person knows UTSA better than anyone else I know. We worked together when I was working in the Alliance of American Football with the San Antonio Commanders. So make sure you guys are following him on social media, at Greg Luca. It's his name. It's really simple to remember. But ladies and gentlemen, give me a warm welcome for Mr. Greg Luca. Greg, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm good, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude, thank you so much for coming on. So let's talk a little bit about this UTSA team, just an overall preview, because when you look at the A&M-UTSA rivalry, in a sense, there's one game that we can talk about, and it was the game in 2016, 23-10. Outside of that, it's still a relatively new program, and the only thing these two guys share is maybe a few recruits who will blow off UTSA or blow off A&M to go to the other school. So can you just give us a little bit about you know the, the whole program that uh, Coach Frank is doing up in uh, the Alamo City? Well, I think Texas A&M fans who watched that game in 2016 and have not followed UTSA since probably have a sense of fear that probably isn't as warranted this season. UTSA had a pretty good season that year, and then they were all right the following year. But last season they went 3-9, and nine, and just team has also struggled. The record kind of doesn't indicate how poor they've been because they've beaten Incarnate Lord, who's an FBS school, and then two of the bottom feeders in the FBS with, with Rice and UTEP. So... I think UTSA is not in a great place in the program right now, to be honest with you. A lot of the fans are sort of unhappy with the direction of the program that a lot of people are calling for a coaching change. And a lot of it has to do with the offense, which has just been nothing short of anemic for the last couple of years now. They, they ranked dead last in the SBS last year in total offense, and this year they're near the bottom, I think in the bottom 15 or so, in the passing games especially struggled. So the program was on a very good trajectory for a while, and I think that was probably something that, that – might have made a couple of fans nervous, but this year, I think the 38 point spread seems pretty justified. I would be surprised if UTSA gave them too much trouble in that game. 38 point spread, Frank Wilson, 18 and 25 as a head coach uh, running the Roadrunners. The biggest thing that I've noticed about this Roadrunner team is a lot of their key stars and a lot of their, I guess you would say, potential breakout players 
are freshmen. It's a very young team that's kind of growing. So does that give hope for the long-term plan of the future, even if Wilson is no longer going to be in charge? I think one of Wilson's strengths, his biggest strength probably, and the reason he was hired, has been recruiting. They consistently bring in classes that rank pretty well in terms of Conference USA, and the group that they have upcoming for this signing day in December it looks pretty strong as well. But there's a lot of concerns and complaints you know, from the fan base mostly about player development and how, how much these guys make progress once they're on campus and once they're in the program. So last year, it was kind of the same thing where they had a lot of young players who were starting or playing impact roles, and now it's again this season. But there's just not seeing the steps forward with those guys. It, it sort of mutes the excitement a little bit. There's, there's certainly some that stand out. Like the quarterback, Frank Harris, if he was healthy, now he's out for the rest of the season, but that's the guy that really seemed to energize the offense. And when he went down, he's only a sophomore, and that changed a lot of the trajectory of the team. Noel Narcisse has been a quarterback, and he's also a sophomore. He's an interesting guy. He's a transfer from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College who started his college football career at LSU, ended up wanting to transfer out when Joe Burrow came in. And, you know, obviously that was a pretty good move. It would have been hard to get some playing time ahead of him. But ended up landing here because of his connection to Frank Wilson, who also formerly was on the LSU staff and knows that area of the country really well. So he's been trying to get the offense going, but he seems more like a run-first quarterback, and we're still trying to figure out what he's capable of as a passer. So the offense is still in the works, and there are a lot of young pieces, like the freshman running back from Jim McCormick, another player people are very, very excited about. They haven't really seen a player with his talent or his level of explosiveness come through here and contribute this early from the running back perspective especially. So that's one to get really excited about. And some of the wide receivers are young, but the group has just had so little in terms of production that it's hard to feel like there's a ton of promise there. Yeah, we got Greg Luca on the phone from the San Antonio Express News. Covers all UTSA, all San Antonio sports. Make sure you're following him on social media. At Greg Luca. it's just his name. You mentioned that sophomore quarterback Frank Harris is out for the remainder of the year. We were told a little differently. We weren't sure what was going on, but Lowell Narcissus has come in, really taken over. The one thing that I've noticed is it is a run-style-based quarterback because when you look at his passing for completion percentage, 48.5%. He has three touchdowns, three interceptions. He's second on the team in rushing yards, and he has just as many passing touchdowns as he does lone rushing touchdowns. Has that been the game plan for UTSA this season, And unlike in years past, is just relying on that one-two punch in the backfield of a quarterback who can run and, of course, the, the freshman running back, uh, Sincere McCormick? Yeah, it was very interesting to see how it developed because Lowell season's first start was three games ago against UTEP, and they were so run-heavy there. But against UTEP, you can kind of get away with that. They were able to move the ball, and obviously UTEP is one of the bottom feeders in all of the FBS. So the things that work against them might not work against everybody else. And when they came back against UAB the next week, who has lost a lot of talent from last year, but is still the defending Conference USA champions that has a lot, a lot of promising things about their program. UTSA tried to follow the same formula where they were really grounded down, but they just didn't have the same level of success in the ball. And so then coming back in their most recent game, which was two weeks ago against Rice, they really found a balance offensively. It was basically dead even split running and passing. And for Lowell, he only had seven carries in the game compared to, I think it was about 29 pass attempts. So in that game, he showed the desire and the, the, the motivation to try to be more of a traditional quarterback and less of a, a run-first option. But again, it's one of those things where what works against Rice may not work against everybody else. Rice is probably better than their looks record indicates, but 
certainly not one of the, you know, I mean, comparing them to A&M would be silly, you know, so it's, it's going to be a different form of this week, but they're going to have to try to follow to have some success, but I think either way, balance is something that they need to try to find, because as you face better defenses, if you're only threatening them one way, they're going to find a way to stop them. Yeah, I like how you said that Rice is a better team than what their record says, and I think that's the exact same thing about A&M. All three of their losses have come to top 10 ranked opponents, although Auburn now is sitting on the outside looking in at 11, but still, you can't really argue that losing to those three teams makes you a weaker team. A guy that I want to focus on before you know we go to a little bit of a break, Carlos Strickland. He's a weird tight end kind of dude. He Everything that I've seen from him on the film is he's not your average tight end, but he's not a wide receiver in the flex position. He's kind of that slot kind of dude who kind of just doesn't work upfield. He's more of that short yard gain that you want in a slot receiver, but his size, six foot four, really just contradicts that statement. Yeah, he's a, it's really interesting to think about how he came here. I mean, he started his collegiate career at Cal, and then he ended up transferring to Kansas State, and then he ended up landing here. And he came to UCSA not even with an intent to play football. He had struggled with some injuries and just kind of thought that he was done with that or needed a lot of time to get healthy. And ended up joining the team as a walk-on in the spring. And suddenly, former four-star prospect is starting to deliver on that year for UCSA. Especially the numbers he's put up are not astonishing by any means, but given how little they've been able to create in the past offense, he has been the top target and the top weapon. And like you said, he's listed as a tight end, but really I don't think that there are many plays at all in which he's just lined up at the end of the line and blocking straight ahead trying to get the run game going. That's not really part of his game. He is more of like a wide receiver type player, which was what he played in high school and at his first two college stops before he came here and kind of got a little bit bigger and they at least nominally decided to change his role. So he, he does usually kind of end up in the slot, and they've used him over the middle. They've used him on, you know, pro routes, kind of a safety valve. But he's also been the deep threat a lot of times. When they've tried to go with maybe a goal line fade as well, he's the guy they usually look to on that mix, and they try to isolate him in one-on-one coverage on one side. So it's good of you to highlight him, I think. If there's going to be a threat in the passing game that's worth monitoring, from an individual perspective, he's that guy. Yeah, a guy that he kind of reminds me of is a lot of fans that AM people will remember, and that's Jay Sternberger. Very slot guy, very open kind of guy, uses a receiving target. Good luck for whoever's playing that nickel position, especially with the injuries that have been going on. More than likely, Devin Morris will get the chance to guard Strickland. We got Greg Luca on the phone, and we got to talk a little bit about this UTSA defense because the offense is clicking, but is the defense on that same level? We do not know, but Greg, however, does, and we're going to break that down in just a quick moment. Guys, talking about erectile dysfunction is not an easy task to do. Usually we just brush it off or blame it on ourselves saying, I've lost my mojo or I'm just not feeling it tonight or whatever excuse you like to use. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication's appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with a free two-day shipping option. The whole process is straightforward and discreet, so get started real fast by going to GetRoman.com locked and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now with Roman, there's an answer for everything. So make sure you go check it out at GetRoman.com locked to get a free online checkup today. 
Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Getting you ready for that early 11 o'clock kickoff as your Texas A&M Fighting Aggies look to take on the UTSA Roadrunners, improve to 6-3 and three on the season, right heading into the bye week. And who better to talk about UTSA than someone who's living up in the Alamo City. He's a good friend of mine. We work together in the AAF. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Luca is still on the phone with us. Greg, we appreciate you coming on. A guy I want to focus on a little bit more that you talked about right at the beginning of the show is the talent that we've never seen at UTSA, and that's Sincere McCormick. As a freshman, AM is playing a freshman running back in Isaiah Spiller. He's from Klein Collins, right in this lo- local area, about 65, 70 miles away. McCormick is a local, born, bred San Antonian, went to Converse Judson High School, uh, has, spe- has some teammates from AM now playing, uh, going to be playing against him this week. But the way he's running the ball, is anyone surprised by what he's done and what is the logistics? of his talent. Yeah, I think coming into the year, it was hard to expect that a freshman running back would be the guy because last season, they actually showed some promise with that position. Brendan Brady, who was from the local guy, he's from Steel High School. He showed a lot of talent as a runner, too, in terms of his patience and his ability to find holes in the defense and let things develop and then get the yards that he could. And then B.J. Daniels seemed to provide more of a power option in the backfield, so it felt like they had a good one-two punch there, and if they wanted to, they could give sincere performance time to develop, but he was just so talented in terms of his explosive ability. That was the thing that always jumped out. This UTSA team, especially compared to conference USA offenses and what has allowed teams to be successful in this league, has lacked a lot of explosiveness on offense. And McCormick has done the potential to break a 30, 40, 50 yard run, and he's done that sort of thing a few times already this year to the point where he actually adds a new dynamic to their offense that they haven't had and that they desperately need. So he has a little bit of power to his game. I mean, he's listed at 5'9", 200, that seems about right. But more than that, he's shifty and quick. Those are the things that are going to stand out when you watch him on the, on the field. And I think, like a lot of freshman running backs, there's times where you see him in pass protection and you're like, ah, this needs a little bit of work. But his talent is kind of undeniable in terms of what he can do with the ball in his hands to the point that they have had no option but to cut him out there and feed him as much as they can. I mean, against a top ten, a top fifteen Baylor team, rushed for eighty-seven yards, two touchdowns uh, a couple weeks ago against UTEP. Biggest game of the year, one hundred eighty-nine yards, uh, one score on twenty-two carries. He's done it all. But there's a guy that I want to focus on also who went to Converse Judson. You're in that local area, and you may have just a little bit of information on him. Most AM fans still don't really know what his potential is, but he's starting to break out now. And the reason everyone was so high on him coming in was because of what he did at Judson. And that is A&M defensive end, former five-star DeMarvin Leal. Do you just remember seeing anything of him during the recruiting process or when he was out in San Antonio that made him this can't-miss prospect? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny, this, this game in general, that DeMarvin and Sincere and Rashad Lewis and one of the safeties for UTSA, they were all at Justin last year, and now they're all starting as freshmen against each other. The thing with DeMarvin and the people I've talked to this week, they actually reached out to their old high school coach, uh, Sean McCullough, to try to get his take on, so I'd like to see all these guys on the field together and what led them to be so successful early. And it's sort of it's pretty obvious, where it's just a lot of God-given ability with DeMarvin. I mean, his, his eyes and his talent are pretty clear, but apparently he had a really high football IQ even from a young age, just kind of understood the way things work, 
and play very unselfish and just kind of a, you know, keep his head down straight ahead worker. So it's not surprising that he drew interest from all across the country. And I'm sure there was some, some conversations within the Justin locker room about trying to keep him close at home. But when you're getting interest from Texas and Texas A&M and Alabama, it's not very likely you're going to sign with UCSA. So no surprise there, but it'll be really interesting to see what he does. I know in the last couple of weeks, it kind of slid into a starting role and started to be more productive. And I don't know if it's due to any other reasons like attrition elsewhere within Texas A&M's roster, but it, I imagine with him missing a lot of the spring session after enrolling in January because he had a, I believe it was a knee issue that he got scoped out, that it probably took him a little bit of extra time to start feeling comfortable and to get involved in the offense and what they want to do there. So we're really seeing him come into his own, and that is not to try to anybody here who recruited him or looked at him just based on his size and his talent. Uh, DeMarvin Leal came in two weeks ago for an injured Michael Clemens and since has been dominant for the Aggies front line. Guy we haven't talked about, we got to talk about this defense before we let you go. There's been a lot of talk about how this defense has allowed teams to stay in the game. And you always want to find that leader. And sometimes that leader maybe isn't the biggest guy on the field, but the guy who plays bigger than he actually looks. When we were covering the Commanders, you guys, you remember Nick Temple. He was that leader of the Commanders defense. Right. And he was five foot ten. I mean, he was a nobody. And that seems what Andrew Martell is going to be this season. Six foot one, 220. I believe he played safety at the start of his career. Now he has to move inside to kind of take over. Just what have you seen from him? And what have you seen from that back seven of the defense that could at least force Kellen Mond to maybe throw an interception and throw him off his rhythm at home? Yeah, he nailed it with Martel. He's, he's a converted safety and has been, he's not the most vocal guy from what I can gather. Maybe it's a lot different out on the field, but Carl Austin, who's second on the team in tackle, seems to be the guy who really is the most vocal presence and kind of that leadership. He was one of the guys, and I guess this is it, Martel is this way too, but they both played when UTSA last went to Texas A&M in 2016. So they have that experience, especially being in this kind of environment and facing this kind of a talent level. So they're a little bit, they're very much positioned as the leaders of the defense, but it's hard to evaluate the performance of that unit as a whole. I still feel like the stats are misleading because they have good numbers against the pass, but they've been back down big in a lot of games, which the other teams haven't had to pass the ball, and that probably inflates those numbers. And then, you know, one time, one of the non-conference games is against the Army, so that's going to make your pass defense look better because that's a triple option offense that isn't going to throw the ball anyway. So I really have questions about not about both the run and the pass defensively. It seems like they've been able to be exploited in both areas depending on the matchup. So I would think that A&M will have as much success as they want with either one of those. But I think it would be difficult for UCSA to get stops. If UCSA has a strength, it's the defensive line where they were at least early in the season kind of priding themselves on being able to rotate a lot of different guys who can either rush the passer or play as big bodies in the middle. And they lost one of those guys, King Newton, is going to be out for the rest of the season. And they've been banged up with a couple of those other people who have been the rotation a little bit. But everybody who's gotten increased in that so can just make the most of them. So up front, defensively, is where they are the most talented and the most dangerous. But I still wouldn't think that that would be enough to give in any problems. Greg Luca from the San Antonio Express News joining us covers all things San Antonio sports, predominantly UTSA sports. Greg, before we let you go, with the injury to Frank Harris, with the injuries on the defensive line, is there a reason for A&M fans to be scared of taking the over on the spread of 38 and a half? And also, what's your prediction for tomorrow? 
yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it. With these games, it gets so difficult to tell how you should, you know, potentially advise people to bet on it because it's just a matter of how much Texas A&M wants to keep their foot on the pedal. I could see a scenario where it's, you know, 35 nothing at halftime, and then you really don't know if they're going to cover or not because suddenly it's like, well, do they want to play the second-string guys? Do they want to play the third-string guys? Do they want to get the starters some more run? And then how does UTSA respond against those second and third units anyway? I think a lot of those guys are going to be substantially more talented than, than UTSA's starting group. And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just the reality of how recruiting works at that level. So I think I think probably the 38-point spread seems fair. I would be surprised if UTSA found the end zone. So I'll take, you know, let's call it 44 to 6. That gives me 38 points, right? Yeah, 38. There you guys have it. You have the man himself, Greg Luca, who covers the team, saying, take the over. It's going to be okay. We all know it's going to be fine. Guys, once again, give a huge shout out to Greg Luca. Give him a follow on social media, especially if anything you need for San Antonio sports. It's at Greg Luca. Simple. It's his last name. Greg, once again, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me anytime. Anytime, man. Greg Luca, everybody from the San Antonio Express News. Listen. We have asking Aggies. We have to talk about the rest of the SEC. We have to give our predictions here on Locked on Aggies for tomorrow's game. Is AM going to be able to cover that 38-point spread? And are they going to be able to see the second stringers, such as Zach Calzada and Anaya Smith, start making a name for themselves and giving hope to the program? We will discuss that along with all the other SEC schools in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson still here in the driver's seat. Hey, guys, one more giant thank you to our guest today, Greg Luca. I apologize once again for the audio context, but it was too good of an interview to pass up for us to be able to have someone with that much knowledge be able to transfer it over to our airwaves. And once again, if you want to follow him, make sure you do. It's very simple. It's at Greg Luca on Twitter. He is a fantastic follow. Excellent writer, excellent reporter. I love working with him in San Antonio. But there are more games that we have to talk about before we talk about this UTSA-Texas A&M game. We do it every single week. We look at the SEC as a whole, and we decide who's walking away a winner and who's walking away a loser. Two for-sure winners walking away this week are going to be LSU and Alabama because they're getting an extra week of rest before they have to face off against each other as a 2.30 kick next Saturday up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for his number one LSU takes on the Crimson Tide. Starting off at 4 o'clock, you're going to have Mississippi State taking on Arkansas in Arkansas. This is a do-or-die win for both these teams. One more loss eliminates the Razorbacks from making a bowl game. One more loss makes it harder for Mississippi State to stay on that winning pattern. I saw enough from Garrett Schrader in that offense last week to think that they're going to somehow improve. I'm going to go Mississippi State bounces back this week. They finally end their four-game losing streak. And they head on the winning pattern. Heading out to the Plains of Auburn, number 11 Tigers take on Ole Miss. I think that this is going to be a bloodbath. This is an Auburn team that has two losses on the year, and they're going to prove, hey, our two losses came to those two teams that you possibly could see representing the SEC up in Atlanta later on this season. I definitely think that this is a revenge game for them. I think that this is a moment where we're going to really see Bo Nix and take that next step forward. Give me Auburn big in this one over the Rebels. We're going to head up to Neyland Stadium up in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the UAB Blazers come in at 6-1 and one to take on the Volunteers. Man, 
Wouldn't it be something to watch UAB win this game? I mean, let's be real. The way Tennessee has looked all season, are you going to bet against UAB right now? I am. I'm going to go with Tennessee getting that win, but it's going to be a lot closer. This is going to be one of those struggle wins that we're talking about later on down the line where UAB maybe could have pulled it out at the end. They're both eligible, though, so congratulations to them. Congratulations to Bill Clark. I expect this, though, to be a lot closer than people are going to expect. Time to head out to South Carolina, where the Gamecocks are finally looking to pick up that victory following their big-time upset against Georgia at Sanford Stadium. They're taking on Vanderbilt. This should be a game where South Carolina picks up the win, and if not, that's going to actually probably have more concerns on their future of the program more than what Vanderbilt has done. Vanderbilt has struggled, but they did get a big upset win over Missouri. I think South Carolina wins. It's close. I'm talking like field goal close but they still find a way to get victory. We're going to move on to the SEC game of the week, the in-house SEC game of the week. It is the largest cocktail party ever, and that is the number eight Georgia Bulldogs head to Jacksonville, Florida to take on the number six Gators. One of these teams is going down, and the biggest thing is how are you going to decide this? Is it going to be based off what Kyle Trask has been able to do, or are we going to see a dominant run game from the Georgia Bulldogs? I'm leaning right now. Right down the middle. It's close, man. It's This is going to be a game where as soon as coverage for A&M ends, when, you know, when we're sitting up at the press box and we can decide how we're going to write this out, this is the game that's going to be on television. I cannot wait to watch it. I'm going to go Georgia. I think Georgia needs this bounce-back win, and I definitely think that they're going to get it. I like Florida. I like what Dan Mullen's doing, but I just think Georgia has that little bit of an edge. They fell during that week against South Carolina. But they're ready to bounce back. They're ready to show that they are a true contender. They want to get back into that top five playoff pitcher conversation. And with a win this week and a loss to Alabama versus LSU, whoever loses that game, this could be their ticket to punch it back in. Finally, A&M versus UTSA. Usually I spend a lot more time on this, but I don't think I have to. If A&M comes out, they play strong, they play fast, they play hard, they do exactly what they need to do on the ground, they're going to be fine. In the end, it's all about consistency. That's legitimately it. And that's been Coach Fisher's motto the entire season. If they can just be consistent, find a rhythm on the ground, find a rhythm through the air, make a big stop on defense, hold the team, they're going to be good. But this is also a game where I want to see the younger talent go ahead and play. We did two episodes on who to watch for the storylines coming out of San Antonio, as well as which young A&M players could be up for a big game. I expect Kellen Mond to be in until the start of the third quarter, probably go one more drive, and then let's see Zach Calzada and that second-team offense see what they can do. Big-time win for A&M. They go into the bye week with a 6-3 record. Give me A&M 51, UTSA 6. That's going to do it for this week of Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Make sure you're following us on social media at Aggies SI, at Locked on Aggies, at Mr. Cole Thompson. Check out all of our great content at si.com slash T-A-M-U. That's si.com slash T-A-M-U. And for all great local podcasting in your local area, make sure you check out LockedOnPodcast.com. We'll be back on Monday to discuss what went right and what maybe went wrong against the Roadrunners before they head into their bye week. This has been Cole Thompson with Locked on Aggies. We will see you Monday, nerds. And remember, gig them, y'all.